0: church family may be seated as christina said the word is such a gift to us we realize that hopefully as a church family what a gift it is to be able to read his word together uh and just want to make you aware this is a little bit longer of a passage so we're reading all of chapter 20 a little bit of 21 but let's just take in what god is telling us this morning uh, what pastor paul is getting ready to teach us and just realize what a gift it is to be able to read uh, god's word together uh, in this body of believers pastor Dean's going to lead us
1: Please follow along with me beginning chapter 20 verse 1 For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day he sent them into the vineyard Going out about the third hour he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and he said and to them he said And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem he took the twelve disciples aside on the way he said to them, see we are going up to Jerusalem And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. In the highest and when he entered Jerusalem the whole city was stirred up saying who is this and the crowd said this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons he said to them it is written my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there.
0: Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And uh, as you're reading along in this text, you might be asking a couple questions. One is, man, why, why would we take so much time to, to read through Scripture? And and, and I hope that, that you see and understand that there's nothing better that we could give ourselves to than this time than God's Word. And as we walk through it and teach through it, we want to make God's Word be the focal point of every Sunday when we gather together because it's in His Word that we have life. It's in His Word that there is truth. And There's so much in this text. Another thing you might be wondering is, and how long is this message going to be? Uh, and we figured that this was a good day to preach this message since most of you are off work tomorrow. If we need to go long, like you have some extended time. And so we're good. We're all, we're all good. No, we will we'll be faithful with our time. And, and I wish I could just dive into the depths of all this that we've just read. But we are going to kind of chase some of the themes that run through this passage kind of continuing on what we've been talking about which is this this theme of discipleship and what does it mean to follow Jesus with our lives. Um, and so that, that's kind of where we're going today and the best way I know to set it up is, is this. Uh, yesterday I had a good time with my family. We got to go to uh, Dollywood Splash Country uh, and this summer's been fun because it's the first time that we've ever taken our kids to a water park. So for those of you who have younger kids or, or did at one time Trying to describe to your children what a water park is when you've never been to one before is a fun experience. So like there, there's this river that you sit in and you don't have to paddle at all, but you just sit through and it moves you along and you can just be there. It's like, that's amazing. Or hey, there's this pool and there are waves in it like the ocean, but no jellyfish and you know, no seaweed, no sand, it's like mind blown, like what is this place? And so we've gotten to do this over the summer, and as we've done it, we've kind of gone through all these rides, but one of the ones we hadn't done was uh, the Water Tower Falls ride, which is it is the 70-foot the straight drop from top to bottom. And so yesterday being the last kind of day this summer we get to do this, I asked Jack, like, are you ready? And wasn't expecting him to say yes, and he said yes. And so I'm on the hook then as a dad, right? Like, we've got to do this together, so we climbed the thing, and you know, from the bottom looking up, it's tall but it's not too bad. And you, see, you know mentally, like people do this all the time, so it must be safe. But then you get to the top of that 70 feet and you're looking straight down and I can see some panic in his eyes and I'm doing the best to hide whatever panic is in my eyes. It's like, are you sure you're ready to do this? It's like, yeah dad, we're, we'll do it. And so you're sitting there on the ledge looking down and you've got your hands and you're supposed to pull yourself off this cliff down into the water. Uh, but he goes, and so we both go and we do it, and I'm so proud of him for doing that. Uh, but as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about that tower and thinking about that moment that for anyone who's ever experienced anything like that or if you've done something similar, like you, you mentally you can look at this water slide and go, I know it's safe, I know it's going to be okay, people do it all the time, it, it's, it's good. But there's something different between knowing that it's safe and actually pushing yourself off the ledge And and hoping you're going to survive the drop to the bottom. And as we've been going through the book of Matthew, especially over the last few weeks, Jesus has been talking about faith. And that there is a difference between believing that Jesus is God. There's a difference between believing that he can save you. There's a difference between believing that he's worth your life and choosing to trust him with your all. To walk by faith and not by sight. Even last week as we were walking through chapter 19 and and Jesus makes this comparison between the rich young ruler and the little children. This is the difference. Like the rich young ruler, he knows the law. He knows what it takes to follow God. He knows all about him. But choosing to humble himself and to give his heart and his life to Jesus, to surrender, to walk by faith, to sell all his possessions is too much for him. Jesus isn't worth the cost. He's not willing to trust Jesus with his possessions to sell all he has and follow him. And Jesus says, Look at the children, that the way that they come to him, the way that they trust in him. Jesus even goes on to say, the disciples look at Jesus and say, This is impossible. Who can do this? And Jesus says, without God, it's it is impossible. But with him, all things are possible. Meaning, this faith starts with God, it's his initiation in our lives. And so I want to continue on what we were talking about last week, and same big truth as last week, which is this. Authentic disciples die to self and follow Jesus. So last week we we talked about, and Pastor Mike kind of showed us walking through the text, how faith is the way we begin authentic discipleship. Trusting, believing, resting in Jesus is where authentic discipleship begins. It's where the road to follow Jesus, to die to self, starts. It starts with faith. But that raises a question for us, and it's, okay, if we do trust Jesus, if we do place our faith on him, put our trust in him, lay our lives down before him, say, I will abandon it all and follow you, have my life, take control, I live for your glory and not my own. What does it look like practically for us to follow Jesus? to die to self, to follow him. What does that look like? How does that work? And so in Matthew 20 and then beginning in 21 we see kind of a context. Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem. He's moving toward the cross. He's had these Early years of public ministry and now they are coming to a final point. They are coming to a climax. Jesus is going to die for your sin and my sin. And it as he's on that journey moving toward Jerusalem, Jesus gives kind of a master class to the disciples and to us on what does it mean to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to live for him? But this isn't something that Jesus is just going to teach with his word. This is something that Jesus is going to demonstrate with his life. And so as we walk through these narratives that Pastor Gene, my dad, just read a minute ago, we're going to just kind of pull out from them some of the themes that we see about authentic discipleship. What does Jesus teach us about what it means to follow him, to deny ourselves, to trust in him? So the question that we're asking this morning of the text that the text asks, answers for us is this. How do we die to self and follow Jesus? How do we die to self and follow Jesus? What does it look like to be an authentic disciple in normal life? And so I'm just going to walk back through these these narratives, these stories that we see here and just kind of pull out some big ideas. And with each one, I'm going to give you a truth, just a simple truth from this idea. And a warning that this text gives to you and gives to me as we look at following Jesus. So let's just dive right in. First story that we see here is the story of the laborers in the vineyard. And the big idea that we see that I want us to pull out this morning is this. Dying to self and following Jesus demands we reject earning and embrace grace. Dying to self and following Jesus demands that we reject earning and embrace grace grace. Look with me at chapter 20 and verse 1. Well, actually, let's back up. We didn't even read this. Verse 9, or Chapter 19, verse 38. So this is how the context begins. Jesus says this, but many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. 20 verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So Jesus begins with this statement about the first will be last, last will be first. Then as you read through this passage, you see at the very end of this narrative in verse 16, Jesus says the statement again, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Anytime Jesus says something multiple times, we want to lean in. And then just later on in the text, if you look down um, in verses 26, Jesus said, it will not be so among you, but whoever be great among you must be your servant. Verse 27, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, must be last, must be least. And so three times Jesus is emphasizing this idea the first will be last, the last will be first, and he uses this story about the laborers in the vineyard to bring out this truth for us this morning. And in this parable we understand the story. This, this man goes out, he gathers laborers to come work in his vineyard. As he goes, he goes throughout the day, he hires more and more and more, and at the end of the story, all of them get paid the same wage. Seems fair on his end, but some of the workers are frustrated. They're upset because they worked harder, they worked longer, they deserve more, they have earned more. But the point of the passage, and Jesus makes it very clear, is this, that on the surface level, while it it might seem like these laborers have a case they worked more hours they gave more that the reality of the story and this is what I want you to hear this morning this is what I want you to lean into is this that none of the laborers deserved to get paid none of them had a job and it was out of the generosity and kindness of the master that he invited all of them in so even the ones who worked longer and harder it was still grace it was still a gift a kindness that they didn't have a job before the day started they didn't have a way to make an income they didn't have a way to make a wage and yet the master's kindness went he sought them out he found them he brought them in and he pays them for their labor and so we see in this passage a picture of grace That each worker in the story doesn't deserve to be hired by the master. And yet, each worker receives the blessing of generosity. And that's what grace is. Grace is unmerited kindness and favor that's extended toward us. And so here's here's the truth that I want us to think about as we think about discipleship and following Jesus. And what does it mean to deny ourselves and follow him? It begins with grace. Grace. Following Jesus begins with grace. It's God's work, it's God's initiation in our lives and none of us deserve it. And here's the truth this morning that that I I hope we get from this idea which is this, grace changes our hearts. Grace changes our heart. When we begin to understand that what we've received we cannot earn, what we've received we did not deserve, it changes the way we think, it changes the way we look At Jesus. And this is the point of the parable, this is why Jesus says multiple times, the first will be last, the last will be first. I don't know if you've ever been in a race before, uh, I used to run cross-country back in in high school, it wasn't that good so don't be impressed, but I did run cross-country and I've run enough races that I've realized this, there's only one way in a race for the people who are first to be last and the people who are last to come in first. And the only way that happens is a tie. Everyone comes in the same way. No one is ahead of the other. No one out earns the other. No one deserves. But when all the runners in the race cross the finish line at the same time, the first to last, the last to first, they all come in the same way. Brothers and sisters, the only way we come into the kingdom of God is by grace. We cannot be good enough, we cannot be holy enough, we cannot be kind enough, we cannot be loving enough to outweigh the sin of our lives. The way we come into God's family and God's kingdom and his purposes is by grace alone through faith alone. And that's good news for us this morning, that all of us That God has shown the grace of Jesus Christ to us. So what's the warning of this parable? What's the warning of this passage? It's ingratitude. If you look in this text, in verse 11 it says, and on receiving it, receiving the denarius, receiving the thing that they had been given by the master, what did the early workers do? They grumbled. They complained. Discontentment, ingratitude, Complaint, grumbling are signs of an earning heart. Friends, when you become discontent toward God, when you become grumbling, when you become discontent with what God's given you in your life, watch out. Be warned that your heart, your mind is shifted from grace and is shifted to earning, God, I don't deserve this. God, why would you do this to me? But grace says, everything you've given me, God, is a gift that I'm unworthy of. This is a warning to us. Beware of earning. Beware of grumbling. Beware of complaining because it's a picture of a heart that has lost sight on grace. Dying to self, following Jesus' demands, we reject earning. We are not trying to earn God's favor. We're not trying to please him. We're not trying to raise ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We reject earning, we embrace grace. We embrace that God has made a way to bring us in, not of our own work, but of his work, praise God. Which leads us to a second big idea this morning, which is this dying to self and following Jesus demands the gospel become our central conviction and our driving passion. Denying ourselves, following Jesus, demands that the gospel the good news that Jesus died and rose again becomes our central conviction and it becomes our driving passion if you're in chapter 20 look with me in verse 17 as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem he took the 12 disciples aside so again this is a teaching on discipleship he pulls the 12 aside he's teaching them about the kingdom of God he's teaching them about what it means to follow him that's our big truth from last week and this week that's what he's doing he says, see, we are going to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priest, the scribes. They will condemn him to death, deliver him over to Gentiles, be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. What's Jesus doing? He's clearly telling them and telling us why he came. Did Jesus come to perform miracles? Yes. Did Jesus come and heal the sick? Yes. Did Jesus come feed the hungry? Yes. Did he care for those who are in distress? Yes, he did all those things. But why did Jesus come to earth? He came to die for your sin and my sin, to be buried and to rise again. That was his purpose. That was his aim. That is why he was on this planet. And if we are going to be his followers, his disciples who live for him, brothers and sisters, listen to me this morning. Your life exists to make the gospel known. And my life exists to make the gospel known. The gospel is meant to be our central message. It's meant to be the passion that drives our lives. We don't parent our kids just to raise good kids, we parent them toward the gospel. We don't go to work just to earn an income or to grow up the corporate ladder. We we go to proclaim the gospel. We don't play sports or make neighbors and friends just to be able to have friends. We go to proclaim the gospel. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. That's why grace has come to us. That's what a disciple does. Is the gospel your central conviction? Is it your driving passion this morning? And if not, ask that God would make that your driving passion passion, your central conviction. One of the beautiful things about walking through the Gospels is we get to see the other passages that go along. I would encourage you to go back and read from Luke 9. Luke nine fifty one says this, kind of the same idea, when the days drew near for him to be taken up he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Same, same pace, same spot in the scriptures we're reading from Matthew. He set his face. What does that mean? Jesus' face was set like flint. One objective, one course, one direction. He wasn't wavering to the right. He wasn't wavering to the left. There was one central purpose, to go, to die, to rise again. That was his passion. It is ours. Mark 10.32 also talks about this account. It says, as they were going on the road to Jerusalem, Jesus was walking ahead of them. Listen to this. And yet, sorry, and they were amazed and those who followed him were afraid and taking the twelve again he began to tell them what would happen to him listen to this the crowd around Jesus they were amazed and afraid why were they amazed and afraid because when they saw Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem it was overwhelming to them this isn't a passive walk This is a conviction movement toward the cross. There was a weight and a gravity toward Jesus walking toward Jerusalem because his primary purpose was coming to a fulfillment. And friends, this is what we have been called to do. And this is the truth that I want us to think about from this idea. The gospel is our message. The gospel is our message. It's the message you carry. It's the message I carry. If we are Jesus followers, we've been called to proclaim this message to anyone and everyone. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, the Apostle Paul, for I delivered to you his first importance, what I also received. What's most important, Paul? What is the most important thing the Apostle Paul could tell the church at Corinth? It's this. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and he rose on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The gospel is our message, church. Not just the message of a pastor, not just the message of a Sunday. It's meant to be the message of our lives. So here's the warning for us this morning. Distraction. Distraction. We're going to see, and we've already read it in the next few verses, that Jesus tells them he's going to go and die, go be beaten, go be rejected, go be mocked. He's going to die and rise again. What's the very next thing the disciples do? Argue about who's the greatest. Hey, can I sit at your right hand? Can I sit at your left hand? And again, I'm a parent. I don't know how many of you have ever had your kids like argue over things. This is like a normal thing that happens in our lives. But we get this way too. We get distracted from the most important thing. We've been called to proclaim the gospel with our lives, which leads to a third big idea this morning. Jesus now goes into a conversation about greatness. What does greatness look like in the kingdom? What does greatness look like to God? Third big idea is this. Dying to self and following Jesus demands we reject personal ambition and embrace servant-hearted sacrifice. Reject personal ambition, embrace servant-hearted sacrifice. So he's just pulled them aside. He's just told them about what's about to happen to him. And James and John's mother comes up to Jesus and asks Jesus this question. Can my son sit at your right and left hand in the kingdom? Can they have first place and second place in your kingdom? So he's just talked about what his kingdom purpose is about. It's coming to die, not coming to lift himself up, but to die and to rise again from the dead. And now they are arguing, the disciples begin to argue about who's the greatest and they're frustrated with James and John. And I like to think that they're not necessarily frustrated because they're so holy and, one, and they're upset that they asked, but they're frustrated because they didn't ask Jesus first if they could sit at his right and left hand and they're frustrated that James and John beat them to it. And there's this argument going on about who's the greatest. And so Jesus pulls them aside again. And he turns greatness on its head. Look at what he says to them. Verse 25, but Jesus called and said to them, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. Their great ones exercise authority. So those who have power, they exercise it. Verse 26, it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first, we've talked about first and last, among you must be your slave, bond servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to deny ourselves, lay down our lives, follow him, Our personal ambitions must die. My dream about my success in my job, your dream about your success for your kids, for your education, for your marriage, whatever those things are, all those things come second. All those things come behind living for Jesus Christ. And to follow him, it's to embrace the path of servanthood. It's to embrace the path of sacrifice. It's to lay down our lives for the good of others, for the glory of God. Greatness in God's eyes is servanthood and sacrifice. It doesn't look like the way the powerful view greatness in this world. It looks like servanthood, and and the literal word here to serve is deacon. We have A lot of faithful men who serve as deacons in our church. And Jesus says, I am the one who serves. I am the deacon. I am the picture of service, laying my life down for the good of the body, for the good of God's people. This is the way it is to be among the disciples. This is the way it is to be among us, which leads to a simple truth, which is this Jesus' followers are servants. Jesus' followers are servants. We are called to lay our lives down for the good of others, for the glory of God. The Christian knife is not about putting ourselves at the center and every now and again helping someone else out. No, it's laying our lives down for other people, for the sake of the gospel. I love the parable in Luke 17. You can go back and read it later, but it's about unworthy servants. And in this passage, Jesus talks about this servant and he works all day and then he comes in and prepares the master's meal and then he cleans up after the master and he says what should the master say to the servant should the master like give the servant a hug should he pay him extra he says no he's just a servant that's his role that's his job and it's not demeaning but that's what we've been called to do we've come to serve jesus to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel so what is the warning that we see in this passage? Here's the warning. Pride. Pride. Jesus has just said he's about to go and lay down his life. and The disciples are arguing about who's greater. Who should come first? Jesus says, no, it's not about that. It's about laying your life down. It's about becoming a servant. But not just you guys do this. This is what he's going to do. Verse 28, for even the son of man, that quote from Ezekiel, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the true and better sacrifice. He is the true and better servant. He is the one who will lay his life down for you and for me, friends. If we are going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be true disciples we're going to have to lay our lives down for the good of others for the glory of God just keep moving to this passage next big idea is this dying to self and following Jesus requires knowing our need for mercy dying to self and following Jesus requires knowing our need for mercy we read this earlier verse 29 talking about the blind men And as Jesus is on the way to Jericho, there's a great crowd. Behold, there were two blind men sitting on the roadside. And when they heard Jesus was passing by, they cried aloud, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David, have mercy. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us. Son of David. And Jesus stopped and called to them and said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes and immediately they covered their sight and followed him. Now I don't want you to miss what it says there. Immediately they recovered their sight, but what did they do next? Follow him. See, what's fascinating about this passage is not just that they are blind men and Jesus heals them. What's fascinating, and this is so important for us, is that the blind men understand they are in desperate need of God's mercy. They need Jesus to open their eyes. They need Jesus' help. Friends, you and I are in desperate need of God's mercy. Always. Always. We are in need of God's work in our life. We are in need of God's grace to be extended to us. We are in need of His mercy, His judgment not being poured out on us. We are a people in desperate need of mercy. The other thing that's fascinating about this passage... I want you to think about this. This is the paradox that Matthew wants us to see. The blind men are the only ones who can see the truth that Jesus is the Son of David, the promised King. The blind men see what the people who have sight are blind to. So what's the truth and the warning? Here's the truth this morning. We are in desperate need of mercy. Constantly, always but here's the warning, the warning is self-deception that we are easily deceived, we are easily blinded to the fact that we are in need of God's mercy friends when you get up in the morning and you take your head off the pillow do you feel the weight of your need for Jesus your need for the Holy Spirit's presence, your need for Him to intervene, to guide you, to help you because we are in desperate need of God's mercy but the The warning for us is that we are prone to self-deception. We are prone to blindness. The blind men see what the people who have sight cannot see. And the people who can see are blind to the truth that Jesus is the King. And friends, Scripture is very clear to us that in our sin, our sin blinds us. It deceives us. It covers our eyes from the truth. And so one of the most important things we can do every day, and one of the most important things we can do today is to humble ourselves and say, Lord, open my eyes to see the truth. Oh God, help me see my need for you. Help me see my need for mercy. Help me to see that you're the only one who can meet that need. Help me today, open my eyes to see. Because God is the only one who can give spiritual sight. And being a Jesus follower who denies themselves, who follows him, Begins with seeing our need for mercy. It's a dying to self and trusting in him. Keep going. We're almost finished. Next big idea is this. Looking at the triumphal entry. Dying to self and following Jesus requires complete obedience and humility. So as we go into chapter 21, Jesus is now entering into Jerusalem. He is headed toward the cross. This is the beginning of Holy Week. And so from this point on, as we preach through Matthew on Sunday mornings, this is the last week of Jesus' life before the cross. He's drawing near to dying for your sin and my sin. He's drawing near for the wrath of the Father being poured out on him, the one who is sinless, the one who is unworthy. And as he comes into Jerusalem, we, we see this fulfillment of Scripture he tells the disciples to go find a cult and, you know, do this. And if they question it, tell them this. And the disciples, they just obey. They go do it. It's kind of a crazy thought. Go steal someone's donkey and tell them Jesus needs it. I wouldn't suggest doing that today. One, I don't know why you need a donkey. But two, don't go steal something. Say the Lord has need of it. That's probably not going to work out well. You might end up in jail. But when Jesus tells you to do it, it's okay, right? And that's what they do, and why is this passage here? There's so much that's in this text we can't cover, but a few different things. One, it is the beginning of Holy Week. This is the beginning of the journey to the cross. Second, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. So in 21, verse 5, it says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. This is a quote from Zechariah in the Old Testament. And the point is that the king who's going to come is going to come in humility. He's not riding on a war horse with an army. He's riding on a beast of burden. He's riding on a humble donkey. He's not coming as a mighty warrior. He's coming as a servant. Think about this. The king of creation, the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who holds eternity in his hands, is humbling himself, riding in on a donkey making himself of no reputation. And so from a a discipleship standpoint, Jesus is teaching the disciples and us two really important things. One, we are called to obey him. Just like he told the disciples, hey, go, do this crazy thing. They don't question it. We are called to go. We are called to walk in obedience to this word. And sometimes it's not going to make sense. Sometimes in the factors of what our plan is for our life, it's not going to make sense to obey and follow Jesus. To be generous, to open up our lives, to share the gospel with those who don't want to hear it. To go to that place that we don't want to go to. But God calls us to obedience, but God also calls us to humility. We're not trying to build our own kingdom. We're not trying to build our own way. So we look at Jesus, who is the picture, who chose to humble himself. And we lay down our pride. We lay down our desires and rest in him and trust in him. So here's the truth from this idea this morning, which is this. Jesus is the king. He is the one true king. He is the one who fulfills the promises. He is the one that we are made for. Friends, Jesus is the king. He is worthy of your worship. He is worthy of obedience. He is worthy of your life and my life. He is the king. So here's the question for you and for me this morning. Is he your king? Is he my king? Is he the one that you hope in? Is he the one that I've put my hope in this morning? Which leads to a warning for us. And that warning is compromise. Compromise. Look at what the crowd says as he comes in. Verse 9, the crowds that went before him, followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, or praise the king. Praise in the highest. Praise to the king. On Sunday, they'll say praise him. On Friday, they'll say crucify him. And the crowd who in this moment sees Jesus as a king, Jesus as a savior, Jesus who's worthy, Jesus is the one who can feed us, Jesus the one who can heal us, on Friday they'll want him dead. Friends, don't let that tension slip by you. Because it's an easy thing for your heart and my heart on one day to say, Jesus is better on Sunday, and then on Monday say, Jesus, I'm not going to do that. My job is better. My career is better. My plan for my kids is better. And in this passage, we see a warning of compromise. That when our devotion is put to the test, when we are asked to sacrifice what means most to us, is Jesus our king? Is he the one that we follow? Is he the one that we lay our lives down for? Or will we be like the crowd who's quick to compromise? Which leads to a final big idea this morning as we've been chasing this master class, this theme of what does it look like to deny ourselves and follow Jesus. Last picture, last story I want us to look at is Jesus in the temple in verse 12. And here's the big idea this morning. Dying to self. And following Jesus demands a passion for the glory and the fame of God above all else. Dying to self and following Jesus demands a passion for the glory and the fame of God above all else. Look at verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out... Now, I don't know what your pictures of Jesus are. A lot of our pictures are kind of meek, mild Jesus with blue eyes and white skin and, and glimmering hair like he just you know had a nice shower and condition. But this picture of Jesus is throwing people out of the temple, casting them out, overturning tables. Why? Why is Jesus doing this? He's kind-hearted, he's loving, he's gentle, he, he cares, he's compassionate. We just saw that. He has pity on the blind man. He drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Why? Verse 13, he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. What's that mean? Translation, you've taken the temple, the place that was meant for the worship of holy God, and you've made it about yourself. That the temple exists to point the people to see God's holiness, to sacrifice, to love, to serve Him. And they had turned it into a way of gain, making money, profit. And Jesus is irate over it. Which leads this idea for us this morning following Jesus, denying ourselves, demands a passion for the glory and fame of God above all else. Here's the question for you and for me this morning. What makes you frustrated and upset? When the name of Christ is defamed, does it bother you? Do you have a jealousy in your heart for the glory of God? See, here's one of the things that I'm really convicted about that I'm in my life and I'm praying for our church family is that we would care more about the glory of God and the name of God than our personal comforts. I think often we, we think more about what will be best for us, what would feel most comfortable to us, what would be best for our kids, what would be best for our life group, what would be best for you name whatever the category is. What would be best for these people? Instead of asking the question, what would bring, bring God more glory? What would glorify God most? What would help us grow most? What would magnify him most? Whether you homeschool or public school, what would glorify God most? Whether you take this job or stay in your job, what would bring God more glory? Whether I stay in my marriage or leave my marriage, what would bring the name of God more glory? And I think if we begin asking that question, what would bring God most glory? I think it would change the way we live. I think it would change our passions, which leads to this truth. We exist for the glory of God. Amen? Thank you. A couple of you. We exist for the glory of God. Amen. Amen. This is why we're here. If you look at our principles for a church, therefore, and the foundation stone is this, God's glory. We exist for Him. And a disciple, a servant, exists for the glory of their master. And here's the warning that we see in this passage. It's hardness of heart. Look at the, the Pharisees' response to Jesus. In 14, And the blind and lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Can I pause there for just a second? That's the exact same word that the way that the disciples respond to James and John earlier. They were indignant with them. They were angry at them. Their hearts had grown hard toward them. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what they are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? He quotes from Psalm 8. Here's what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and the scribes. The ones who knew the law were ignorant of the law. That the babes, the people, will pour out praise to the one true God. And the hardness of the religious leaders' hearts have blinded them to the truth. The ones who know the law have forgotten the law. Friends, when our hearts grow hard, we hearts will grow hard toward Jesus and toward his word. I know that's a lot to chase, I know that's a lot to cover but we want to be a people, we want to be a church who lives for Jesus. We want to be a church of disciples who are laying down our lives, who are denying ourselves, following Jesus and Jesus makes it very clear what it looks like to lay down our lives, to deny ourselves, to follow him. So here's the question for you and for me this morning, are you following Jesus? Are you an an authentic disciple? are you running away and pushing away from earning and leaning into grace is the gospel the conviction that drives your life are you taking the posture of a servant and sacrificing and living for god's kingdom instead of trying to build your kingdom do you understand your need for mercy is it grifts your heart and your mind are you walking in obedience and humility to jesus are you living for the glory of God? Are you living for the glory of yourself? And so as we come to a time of response this morning, these are the questions that we want to wrestle with. And all of this, circling back to the beginning, begins with faith. Now I was talking about the water slide at the beginning and like pushing off and, and going down the waterside. The reality is like going down that water slide... Once you let go, you have no control over what happens next. Gravity takes over in that moment. And all you can do is trust that the people who built this thing did a good job and that you're going to make it safely to the bottom. Following Jesus is I'm letting go of my control, my rights, my pursuits, my hopes, my dreams, and I'm stepping out, in obedience, trusting you with everything. Have it all, have my kids, have my life group, have my career, have my job, have my life, let me live long, let me die tomorrow. It doesn't matter, I am yours and I give myself to you. Friends, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever left it all and said, Jesus, you are better, you are enough, I'm yours. Open hands, open life. If you haven't, today's the day of salvation. Today is the day to say, I want to turn from living for myself and I want to live for you. You can do that this morning. For some of you, you are Jesus followers, but you've been grabbing a hold of the side, you're trying to get control, you're trying to build your life, you've given in to some of these temptations, you've compromised, you've been distracted, you're hard-hearted, you're blind to the truth. You've leaned away from grace and leaned into earning. This morning is an opportunity to repent and to trust in Jesus. I'm going to invite the team to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song of response. And here's the song that we're going to sing In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, the one who helps me see. He is my strength, the one who I rest in. He is my song, he's the one I proclaim. I pray that these things would be true of you would you pray with me father this morning we come to you we thank you for the gospel we thank you that Jesus has made a way that Jesus has opened our eyes to see the truth and we want to trust and follow him help us to do that we thank you that you are the example that you are the one who works and serves for us even though you didn't have to you are the good and better servant who lays down your life for us you are the sacrifice who made a way for us. We trust you and follow you. Help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.